children who are age four through third grade can go to Children's Chapel. Um, and if you have a Bible with you, you can open to Psalm 1. The text is also printed on the next page of your bulletin for you. Psalm 1. So we're, um, we just got finished with the book of Amos. And um, in between now and September 9th, I believe it is, when we start the, uh, the series on the Lord's Prayer, we will have um, a few psalms to look at, starting with Psalm 1. And actually, I'm going to um, give kind of an introduction to all of the psalms um, just now before we get into Psalm 1. Um, and let me recommend a couple books for you. If you um, want to study the Psalms in depth, I know a lot of people um, read them regularly and use them for prayer. Um, but there are a couple good little books that can aid you through the Psalms. One of them is by Tremper Longman, and it's called How to Read the Psalms. And he's got, um, it's just a tiny little paperback, but uh, he's got a, a series of a few of these. He's got How to Read Genesis and How to Read the Proverbs. Uh, but how to read the Psalms is really excellent. And then um, Derek Kidner has a commentary on the Psalms. I think it's two volumes, um, and it's in the Tyndale Old Testament commentary series. So Kidner and uh, Tremper Longman are some good recommendations for going through the Psalms. The book of Psalms, um, you know, when you open it up, when you open up your Bible to the middle, usually you hit a Psalm. Uh, so uh, more than uh, being practically in the, the middle of the Bible, it stands uh, essentially at the heart of the scriptures. Uh, Martin Luther called the Psalms a little Bible, a summary of the whole Old Testament. Um, uh, the Hebrew name for Psalms is Tehillim, which means praises. And um, we see that the psalms were used in worship, in private worship, but especially in public worship. And the psalms are inspired expressions um, encompassing the whole range of, um, of human spirituality, from lamenting evil to lauding God's goodness to uh, confusion about plight and then um, confidence in God's providence from hatred of sin to love for God's holiness, from prayer for a changed heart to thanksgiving for God's forgiveness, uh, from birth to death to life everlasting. Uh, the Psalms cover the whole range of human spirituality. We find uh, right thinking and right feeling toward God in the Psalms. We see humanity in all of its transparent humility and uh, it's all, all of its dignified grandeur. And we hear the redeeming love and grace of God in vivid uh, poetry. Poetry is kind of the overarching genre of <clears throat> the writing that we find in the Psalms. John Calvin says, um, I've been in the habit of calling this book an anatomy of all parts of the soul. For there is not an emotion of which anyone can be conscious that is not here represented as in a mirror. And uh, Tremper Longman says that the Psalter represents theology in its most vibrant form. He talks about the fact that theology isn't just a head knowledge thing, not just an intellectual exercise. Theology is meant to be uh, something that involves our whole being, uh, response to God. Um, and so, therefore, the Psalms are frustratingly organic, frustratingly unsystematic, downright unpresbyterian. Um, <clears throat> Nevertheless, there is uh, some 
structure to the book of Psalms. Not much, but there is some. Traditionally, the, the book of Psalms has been broken up into five um, kind of sub-books. You get uh, uh, Psalms 1 through 41, and then 42 to 72, and 73 to 89, and 90 to 106, and 107 to 150. And um, G.K. Beale points out in his big book, The uh, New Testament Biblical Theology, that the beginning and ending psalms of each of those little books um, provide thematic clues to those books and actually to the whole Psalter. And one of the themes that you see most consistently repeated in those, um, those kind of big indicators uh, is the kingship of God. And next week we'll look at Psalm 2, which um, actually has some strong ties to Psalm 1. We could have done them together, but Psalm 2 uh, focuses on the kingship of God um, which is uh, a strong theme throughout the Psalms. One pattern that we see is this. It, um, bet you didn't know that laments outnumber praises. Uh, the, the number of um, psalms that fall into the category of lament outnumber the number of psalms that fall into the category of hymns or praises. Uh, but even though that's the case, there's a movement at the end of the book of Psalms um, toward what uh, Tremper Longman calls a virtual fireworks of praise, where just every verse is praise the Lord, all the earth, with all these instruments, everything that you have, praise the Lord, right? Um, so that's one uh, pattern that you see throughout the book of Psalms. And I think one of the, the key things that you see as a, a pattern for the theme of the book of Psalms is, uh, is right here in Psalm 1. It's a wisdom psalm. That's the category that people uh, use for it. A wisdom psalm. It stands at the gates of the book. It, it shapes our approach to the book, uh, to this little Bible, as Luther called it. So let's pray, and then we'll make our way into the psalms using Psalm 1. Let's pray together. Father, we ask for the help of your Holy Spirit as we come to your word. Uh, we would not understand your word apart from your work in our hearts and in our minds, and so we ask that you would help us, that you would open our eyes, the eyes of our hearts, um, to be able to perceive you in your word, to be able to know you more, and to be changed into the likeness of Jesus Christ, our Savior. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So as I mentioned, um, commentators classify Psalm 1 as a wisdom psalm. And there's a whole section in our Bibles, uh, in the English order of our Bibles anyway, in the Old Testament, that is usually referred to as wisdom literature. Uh, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon are all this wisdom literature section of uh, the Old Testament. Um, and in the Bible, wisdom is not just knowledge. It's not just truth. 
that is uh, gained for its own sake. Uh, wisdom is meant to be properly and practically applied to life for salvation and for spiritual growth. And very simply, um, in, in Psalm 1, this wisdom psalm that stands at the, book of, uh, at the entry to the book of Psalms, we see a, a contrast between the righteous and the wicked, those who apply wisdom and those who don't, basically. Um, and, and this uh, psalm is really um, easily broken and divided into uh, three sections. We see this contrast between the righteous and the wicked, between the influences that shape their lives in verses 1 and 2, uh, between the kinds of people that they are in verses 3 and 4, and then between their resulting eternal destinies in 5 and 6. And so we're going to look at these uh, divisions of the text, and then we'll um, do what we should do with good wisdom literature and see how it applies to us. Uh, the very first thing we see is that the good guy, the, the righteous one, is happy. Uh, verses 1 and 2, Blessed is the man... Who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. So blessed is this one. Blessed means happy. Um, I think we, we often uh, want to eschew the word happy, and uh, instead um, of, of it, put it in its place, the word joy, right? Because we instinctively know that there's kind of an inane glib happiness that people can have in temporal things, things that don't really matter, silly things, right? Silly happiness versus this deep, weighty uh, joy that the Bible talks about. But the Bible uses the word happy uh, to describe that. So we'll use that word. It's, it's a legitimate word to use. Blessed means happy. Um, it's a true, deep happiness that comes from God's grace, uh, that comes from God's blessing. And the man spoken of here, and I say man, uh, it's singular masculine because it's meant um, as a representative word for people rather than, um, than actually just talking about one single man. Um, but the man that's spoken of here has a strong joy from God because of what this, this man loves, uh, which shapes his life. It shapes who he is as a person. And the thing that he loves, the thing in which he delights, is the law of the Lord. So um, before you think this just means he really likes God's rules for good living, uh, let me say that the Hebrew word for law here, Torah, uh, frequently means direction or instruction, not just commands, you shall do this or you shall not do this. Uh, often it refers to the first five books of the Old Testament that were written by Moses. That was called the Torah, the law. Um, and here it's probably being refused, uh, it's being used to refer to Scripture as a whole, uh, which at the time actually probably only consisted of about half of the Old Testament, what we have now. But we can legitimately apply it to all the Old Testament, in fact, to all the Scripture. Um, this is God's revelation that's being talked about. The, the thing that this man delights in is uh, God's revelation. Because this blessed man delights in God's revelation, he does not love the counsel of the wicked to walk in it, right? Um, untrue thoughts, thoughts that uh, have n uh, nothing of God in them, nothing of the one true revealed God. They don't shape his thinking, right? False religions, uh, popular philosophies or psychologies, atheism, these all fall under this category. 
of uh, untrue thoughts that uh, this, this man doesn't delight in. He doesn't walk in that counsel. The blessed man is not conformed to this world, but is transformed by the renewing of his mind, as it says in Romans uh, chapter 12, which comes from the truth of God's word. And because this blessed man delights in God's word, God's revelation, he does not love the way of sinners to stand in it. And that's uh, probably talking about worldly strategies to get through life, right? Uh, and these strategies don't shape his behavior. Manipulative, deceitful tactics to advance in career or in your relationships. Uh, the blessed man lives with integrity and honesty, always loving God and his neighbor um, as he is informed and motivated by the word of God. And because this blessed man delights in God's revelation, he does not love the seat of scoffers to sit in it. So that means pride and disdain um, don't shape his identity. Seeking acceptance through the ridicule of others, through the rejection of others, um, that doesn't shape who he is. The blessed man humbles himself before God and others so that the Lord would exalt him, uh, which comes from confidence in God's favor, which is promised in his word, his revelation. So the happy man, the blessed man, is the one who delights in the scripture, who meditates on it, who saturates his soul with it day and night. He lets, uh, in other words, uh, God's word shape him in every circumstance. Verses 3 and 4, He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. So the image here of these uh, two plants now um, is of a, high dry, uh, a hot, dry climate, right? Like a desert wasteland where one would not normally expect to find um, many living plants, especially not a tree like the one is, uh, that's described here. It's not only not withering under the sun, but it's flourishing and bearing fruit because it draws uh, from a nearby water source for life. The blessed man, the text says, yields fruit uh, according to his nature. It just says that yields its fruit in its season, right? He's just doing what he was made to do. It's nothing fancy. Uh, he's like a healthy tree that bears good, pleasant fruit like it's supposed to. And the, the fruit that we're supposed to bear, we see that in Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So the blessed man isn't affected by a hostile environment. He's able to thrive in the face of temptation and adversity. He's like a tree that grows leaves that can withstand the direct heat of the desert sun. Uh, the blessed man prospers, it says, or uh, succeeds in everything that he does, which is not to say that he is materially wealthy and comfortable, but that he pleases God in the fulfillment of his calling. He does what he's supposed to do, and he succeeds at it, which is, um, as Joe prayed, the chief end of man is to glorify God, right? He glorifies God in everything that he does. His fruit uh, um, goes to God's glory. And all of this because the blessed man soaks up the word of God like a thirsty tree that's planted in a dry desert. But it's planted by streams in a desert. And here is where the contrast between the righteous and the wicked begin, begins to have some serious ramifications for the wicked anyway. The wicked 
those who are shaped by the values and the expectations and the behaviors of this world are nothing like this robustly happy and spiritual man. They're like the chaff that wind uh, drives away. And again, that, uh, I think we looked at it maybe just last week, the concept of chaff being this ancient agricultural image where you, um, you bring in the harvest of the wheat and you take it to the threshing floor and you break it up and you break the, um, the wheat, you br- um, break the edible kernels away from the chaff and the, the straw and the husks. And then you winnow it. You toss it into the air <clears throat> in order to separate the, the wheat from the chaff. And the wind drives the lighter materials away. The wind drives the chaff away. And the true kernels of grain fall uh, straight to the ground and you keep those. So the wicked are pictured here as having no substance. Um, and at the least sign of trouble, they're blown away, which easily distinguishes them from the blessed man. Uh, we have a similar passage in Jeremiah chapter 17. It says this, Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green. And it is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. And then uh, in verse 5 and 6, the last section of our psalm, Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. And here we see the everlasting outcome, right? the eternal destinies of these two types of people. The counsel of the wicked leads you to be wicked, and there is no way that God will permit sin to survive in his presence. And this means when God's holy judgment pours forth, uh, blasts forth over the earth, you're knocked off your feet and you're swept away forever. But the counsel of God leads you to be righteous, which means you will stand together with the righteous who receive their reward from an approving God on that day, on the last day. It says, the Lord knows the way of the righteous. And the English uh, Standard Version Study Bible says this. It must be something um, stronger than simply knows about, right? The Lord knows the way of the righteous. It's got to be more than just knows about the way of the righteous. Since God knows about the wicked and their deepest secrets. Some have argued that the word means care for, but it's better to take this as knows with affection and approval. In other words, prefers. So the Lord knows the way of the righteous with affection, with approval, but the way of the wicked will perish or come to ruin. Proverbs 2 says, for the upright will inhabit the land and those with integrity will remain in it, but the wicked will be cut off from the land and the treacherous will be rooted out of it. And this happens uh, to us finally and forever at the judgment of God. And Ecclesiastes 12 says this, the end of the matter, all has been heard, Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. So um, 
He'll bring every secret thing into judgment, whether good or evil. How many, um, how many good secrets do you have that God is going to judge? Um, or in keeping with the imagery and the language of Psalm 1, how much good fruit do you bring forth that brings glory to God? How well do you hold up under temptation and adversity? How successful are you in accomplishing God's will, bearing the fruit that you should bear in your life? How perfectly do you avoid the thought patterns or the behavioral patterns of those who set themselves up against God? How much do you delight in the law of the Lord? How do you feel about keeping your feet in the presence of the almighty, most holy judge who knows your thoughts better than you do? Look at yourself honestly, and then look at this psalm, and look back and forth a few times. Do you feel like the blessed, happy man in Psalm 1? These are legitimate questions to ask of yourself as you read through a text like this. And I bet, um, if you're anything like me, hardly any of you feel like you are this person. But just in case you do, let me remove all doubt for you. Um, Genesis chapter 6, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Pretty scathing um, revelation of our hearts to us. Um, Psalm 14, the Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they've become corrupt There is none who does good, not even one. And Ecclesiastes 7, Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. These were all written a long time ago. But the word of God still holds true. Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. But in heaven, in heaven there is one man. There is a man who lives in heaven who not once walked in the counsel of the wicked, who not once stood in the way of sinners, who not once sat in a seat of scoffers, who grew every fruit of the Spirit to ripeness, to God's glory, who did not wither under the temptations of the devil himself, whose only delight was to do what he heard from his father and who prospered in doing God's will, even though doing God's will killed him. And this is the crazy part. Even though he is the only righteous man in history, he was blown away like the chaff. He perished under the judgment of God as if he were the wicked, the sinner, the scoffer, as he bore the sins of all those who trust in him. And he was foretold in Isaiah 53, it says, It was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, 
make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a, a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. So who is this righteous one? The one in whose hand the will of the Lord prospers. Who is the blessed man? Who is the happy man? Jesus Christ is the Psalm 1 man, whose righteous deeds, um, whose righteous way is known with approval by God, so that even though he died, he was resurrected by his Father and dwells in glory, even now as the exalted King of kings and Lord of lords. And not only this, but Jesus Christ is the righteous way. He is the truth from God, the very word of God in the flesh. He has streams of life in himself. Everything that we hear him say in the Gospels is wisdom from heaven. And whoever goes to him for a drink, to that word, to that revelation of God for a drink, will never thirst. As with the rest of the Bible, Jesus, the Messiah, is himself the focal figure of the Psalms, both as the the righteous representative of humanity and as the Lord to whom the Psalms are offered as praises. So so what do we do with this? What do we do? How do we apply this wisdom? After all, it is meant to be applied in our lives, right? Um, First, let me just say this. Um, We've got to assure non-Christians that uh, that when we speak of the wicked, when we speak of the sinner, the scoffer in Psalm 1, it's not because we think they're any worse than us or that we're better than them, right? Apart from God's serious spiritual intervention in our lives, which is on the level of miraculous, we are all the same. And I really believe that. Apart from God's grace, I know that I'm a scoffer. I've experienced that. Uh, before God's mercy turned my life upside down, Uh, I cruelly teased a lot of my friends who are Christians. So please, if if you're not a Christian, if you've got friends who are not Christians, don't don't let them think that we're scoffing at them for being somehow worse than us, these sinners, right? Um, If we think that we're better than them for some reason, that's a deficiency of ours. But, um, But we all need to admit that we've rejected God's law We need to confess that we've openly rebelled against him and acknowledge that at some point we've probably made fun of those who trust in Christ um, for their faith, for their salvation. Second, um, this does not mean, this text does not mean that we need to cut ourselves off from sinners entirely. Uh, You have the language here of walking in the council and standing in the way and sitting in the seat of scoffers. That doesn't mean you don't go sit uh, on a pub stool next to some sinners, right? It doesn't mean that you exclude them from your lives altogether. It doesn't mean that you pull your kids out of public school because they're sitting in the seat of pagans, right? Jesus uh, didn't withdraw from sinners. He was a friend of sinners. If he wasn't, we'd all be in trouble. And uh, Moses grew up going to Egyptian school, and Daniel and his friends grew up going to Babylonian magic school, and they did better than everybody else in their schools, right? We don't withdraw from uh, the community that's around us 
because we think that it would somehow put us in the seat of scoffers or make us stand in the way of sinners, right? That is not what our text means. It means that whether you're a Christian or not, you are supposed to entrust your souls to the instruction, the revelation of the law of God, uh, the, the word of God, that most perfect word having a name, right? And his name is Jesus, All Christians wish that they were closer to God, uh, wish that we knew more about God, but there's a wrong way to use the Bible to do this, isn't there? Um, In John chapter 5, Jesus said that the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard. And he's talking to the Pharisees, right? And everybody knows the Pharisees know their Bibles. His voice you have never heard. His form you have never seen. And you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. So the Pharisees had the best private religious education in the history of the world. They memorized the Old Testament, right? They never spent time with sinners. They didn't even go into their houses. They knew the scriptures better than anyone else. Yet Jesus said that the Father's word didn't abide in them. Jesus condemned their righteousness, which is based on Bible knowledge. Condemned their self-righteousness. They searched the scriptures because they thought somehow in them, in knowing them, they would be righteous, they would find salvation, but they refused to come to Jesus. A lot of times we use Bible study this way to feel better about ourselves. And a lot of times we drop Bible language in our conversations to imagine that we're holier than those other people who can't drop verses at a whim. Right? This is definitely not how Psalm 1 is to be applied. We're to delight in the law of the Lord, and that is something that's, it's an affection, right? This is uh, affective language, and you can't make your heart delight in something. That's a miracle that God would make you delight in his revelation, delight in the law of the Lord. We're to delight in the law of the Lord because it's where we get to know the Lord Jesus, and we want to uh, cultivate a relationship with him. We have to go to the word. We do that by believing in him, by trusting in him. As you grow in your trust in Christ, then the Spirit of God makes you more like him, right? More like the Psalm 1 man. As you say, I am his and he is mine, then his way becomes your way. And in fact, the Bible says that as you place your trust in him, he dwells within you through his Spirit, if he's the one who treasures the word of God up perfectly in his heart, then you, by believing in him, by having him inside your heart, by faith, will also come to delight in God's word. And it will shape your life. It will make you a little tree that bears the fruit that you're supposed to bear to God's glory. So hide yourself in the blessed man of Psalm 1. Be found in him by faith and in his... um, divine blessed happiness will be yours 
This is important to all Christians since we're all like trees in a desert. The, uh, the Bible describes us as strangers and pilgrims in this world. It's a hostile world, world to us. We're on our way to the next world. And we're tempted to lose sight of the way and the truth and the life that we have in Jesus. It's especially important to those of us who are in formative stages in life. I mean particularly uh, children, young adults, uh, people who are in school, who are frequently immersed in kind of the swirling counsel of the wicked, right? Um, who are uh, impressionable not only by clever new ideas that all the professors want to uh, promote to tear down religion, um, but by peer pressure. Right? We're impressionable by peer pressure. And also, uh, for those of us who have walked maybe too long in the counsel of the wicked, who have stood for most of our lives in the way of the sinner, or gotten comfortable for many years in the scoffer's seat. How are we going to resist the counsel and the ways of unbelief? How are we going to deny the temptations of the world and the flesh and the devil? How will you find true, deep happiness, blessedness, through the troubles of this life? In our New Testament reading, Colossians 3.16, it says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Meditate on the word of God. Hide it in your hearts and do it together. This is a text written to the church. Right? Let the word of Christ dwell in you, plural, richly, as you teach one another and sing psalms to one another. Parents, teach your scriptures, uh, teach the scriptures to your children. They're able to absorb and understand more than you probably think. Um, and bringing the teachings of our faith to a child's level is a great exercise for us. It actually forces us really to understand it, to be able to reformulate it for others in a language slightly different from our own. Right? Use a Bible reading plan. There's one on the, the book table now, a little uh, folded up. Um, Bible reading plan that uh, will get you through the whole Bible in 50 weeks. Join our home groups or our men's and women's Bible studies as they kick back in this uh, September. Uh, there are some books for sale on the book table, one-to-one -one Bible reading by David Helm. Um, go through that. Pick, uh, pick a friend at work. Ask him or her if they'd like to read the, um, the scriptures together with you. You'll be surprised that they'll probably say yes. Um, and, and go ahead and do that. Uh, just read the Bible together with other people in discipleship relationships. Come and talk to me if you'd like more practical suggestions on how to study the Bible or commentaries that you might want references for. John Calvin said that they are blessed who apply their hearts to the pursuit of heavenly wisdom. So I urge you, uh, pursue that heavenly wisdom through faith in Jesus Christ. Seek out the way of this Jesus Christ, the way of the righteous one that is found only in God's word. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, I confess that my delight is uh, not as much in the law of the Lord as, uh, as I would like it to be. And I, I can't change that about myself. I pray that you would uh, overwhelm me and all my friends here with a true delight in your word, one where um, we want to be saturated in our souls by your promises and uh, 
by the gospel in a way that we've never been before, and yet not in a way that makes us uh, self-righteous like so many people who uh, know the Bible so well, like even we ourselves uh, can be uh, self-righteous about our Bible knowledge. We pray that you would uh, help us to, to love your word and to pursue deeper knowledge of your word and to apply that wisdom in our relationship with you. We pray that uh, our growth in uh, the knowledge of your word would only lead to our growth in our personal relationship with you and the way that we can extend the blessing of that relationship to the people around us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.